The Saga of King Hrolfkraki Chapter 1 King Frodi Kills His Brother, King Hafton A man was named Hafton, and another Frodi. The two were brothers. They were the sons of a king, and each ruled his own kingdom. King Hafton was mild-mannered and easygoing. He was quiet and good-natured, but King Frodi was the harshest and greediest of men. King Afton had three children. Two of them were sons. The third, a daughter named Signy, was the eldest. She was married to Jarl Sival. At the time of these events, Hafton's sons were young. One was named Ror and the other Helgi. Their foster father was named Regin, and he loved the boys deeply. An island lay a short distance between Hafton's stronghold. On it lived a carl or freeman named Vifel. The place, called Vifel's Island, was named for the freeman, who was a lifelong friend of King Hafton. He had two hounds, one named Hop and the other Ho. Vifel was a man of substance and, if threatened, was well-versed in the arts of old magic. Now, it is told that King Frodi stayed home in his kingdom. He bitterly envied his brother, King Hafton, because Hafton alone ruled Denmark. As King Frodi felt that he had not fared as well, he assembled a large following of armed men and set out for Denmark. Arriving in the dead of night, Frodi burned and destroyed everything. King Hafton, unable to defend himself, was seized and killed, but some of his followers managed to escape. All the inhabitants of the stronghold were forced to swear allegiance to King Frodi. Those who refused were subjected to torture. Helgi and Hror's foster father, Regin, helped the boys escape to Vifel on his island. They mourned their loss deeply, and Regin said that if Vifel were unable to hide the boys from King Frodi, then all places of shelter would be filled with snow. Vifel responded that here is a dangerous contest with a powerful adversary, but he added that it was his obligation to help the boys. He then accepted the boys and led them to an underground room where they often stayed. During the day, they were able to breathe freely in the freeman's woods because the island was half-covered with forest. The boys were now separated from Region, who had many valuable estates as well as a wife and children in Denmark. For himself, Region saw no other way than to submit to King Frodi, swearing to him oaths of allegiance. King Frodi took control of the Danish kingdom, levying tribute and taxes. Most people submitted unwillingly because he was a much-despised man. Frodi also laid tribute on Jarl Seivel. Despite his successes, Frodi did not have peace of mind, because he could nowhere find Helgi Hror. He sent his spies everywhere, near and far, north and south, east and west. He promised generous gifts to those who could give him information about the boys. For those who concealed them, he swore tortures upon discovery. Yet no one seemed to know anything to tell the king about the boys. Then, Frodi sought the aid of seeresses and soothsayers in all parts of the land. He had them search the country up and down, even the islands and the outlying rocks. They found nothing. Now, the king sought out sorcerers who could pry into anything they wished. They told him the boys were not being brought up on land, yet they were not far off from the king, who responded, We have searched widely for them, and it seems to me least likely that they are nearby. Nevertheless, there is an island that we have not scoured thoroughly. Almost no one lives on it except for one poor freeman. 
Search there first, said the sorcerers, because mist and secrecy shroud that island. Only with difficulty can we see the area around this man's house. He seems to be a person of profound learning, and there is more to him than meets the eye. The king replied, Then we will search there again, although it seems strange to me that a poor fisherman would harbor the boys, daring to withhold them from me. Chapter 2 The Search Early one morning, Vifal awoke with a sense of foreboding. He said, The air and the paths are alive with magic, and powerful spirits have visited the island. Get up, Hror and Helgi, sons of Hafton. Keep yourselves hidden today in the underbrush of my woods. The boys ran into the woods, and events unfolded as the freemen had predicted. King Frodi's messengers arrived on the island and searched for the boys. They looked everywhere they could imagine, but nowhere could they find the brothers. Although the freemen seemed to be of questionable nature, Frodi's men left. They had accomplished nothing and reported to the king that they were unable to find the boys. "'You have searched poorly,' said the king." That man is skilled in magic. Now retrace your steps, and then return there immediately so that the freemen will not have time to hide them again, if they are there. The men, obliged to do as the king commanded, went once again to the island. Vifel said to the boys, This is not the time to be sitting around inside. Head for the woods as quickly as you can. They did so, arriving before the king's men rushed in, demanding the right to search. Vifel had everything opened up for the searchers, but wherever they looked, the king's men could not find the boys on the island. They then returned and reported the lack of success to the king. King Frodi answered, We will no longer deal leniently with this man. Tomorrow I myself will go to the island. And the result was that the king himself did go. Vifel awoke troubled. He quickly realized that he had to devise a plan. He told the brothers to be aware that if I call loudly to my dogs, Hop and Ho, you must run to your underground shelter, calling to the dogs as a signal that danger has come on the island. You will need to protect yourselves, for now your kinsman, Frodi himself, is in the hunt. He seeks your lives with all kinds of schemes and tricks, and it is no longer clear that I will be able to keep you safe. Then Vifa went down to the shore. The king's ship had already landed, but Vifel acted as if he saw nothing, walking around as though looking for his sheep. He carried on in this way, concentrating so hard that he never once looked toward the king or his men. The king ordered his men to seize Vifel. They did so and then led him to the king. You are a crafty sort, said the king, and a cunning one, too. Now tell me where the princes are, because you must surely know. The freeman replied, Greetings, my lord, but do not hold me, for if you do, the wolf will tear my sheep apart. He then called loudly, Hop and ho, look after the sheep, because I cannot save them. The king said, What are you shouting now? The man replied, My dogs are named in that way. Search as freely as you desire, sire. I do not suppose that the princes will be found here, and I am amazed that you think that I would hide anyone from you. The king said, you are without doubt a sly one, but this time the boys will not be able to conceal themselves, although they have succeeded thus far. It would be fitting if I were to take your life. That is now within your power, replied the freeman. Should you so decide, then you will have accomplished something on the island rather than leaving with matters as they now stand. The king said, 
I cannot be bothered to kill you, although it seems to me that not doing so is ill-advised. Then he sailed home. Vifel now went to tell the boys that they could no longer stay there. I will send you to Jarl Seivel, your brother-in-law. You will become famous men if you live long enough. Chapter 3 The Boys Helgi and Hror Revealed Hror was then twelve years old, but Helgi, who was only ten, was the bigger and more courageous of the two. The boys now left the island. They called themselves Ham and Hrani wherever they went or whenever they spoke with people. The boys reached Jarl Seivel's estate, but then let a week pass before they asked the Jarl for permission to stay. The Jarl replied, From you two I think I will acquire little, but I will not deny you food, at least for a while. The brothers stayed there for a time, but proved to be troublesome. Neither their rank nor their family was known. Even the Jarl did not suspect who they were, since they had told him nothing about themselves. Some men, saying that the boys were born with scurvy on their heads, mocked them as they always wore hooded cloaks. Because the boys never pushed back their hoods, many thought their heads were covered with sores and vermin. The brothers stayed there into the third winter. Next it happened that King Frodi invited Jarl Seivel to a feast. The king's suspicions were around that Seivel may be hiding the boys because of their kinship. The Jarl prepared for the journey, intending to take a large following. The boys volunteered to go, but the Jarl refused. Signy, the Jarl's wife, went along on the journey. Ham, who was really Helgi in disguise, found for himself an unbroken colt to ride. Once seated on it, he raced after the company, riding backward, thus facing the tail. He behaved in every way like a fool. His brother Hrani, finding a similar mount, rode facing the correct way. The Jarl now saw that the boys were following him and that they were unable to manage their horses. The shaggy colts leapt backwards and forwards under them, and Hrani's hood fell down. Signy, their sister, noticed and immediately recognized them. She began to sob deeply. The Jarl asked her why she was crying. Signy spoke this verse. All the royal family of the Skjoldung's princely grove have become limbs only. My brothers, riding bareback, I saw, but Saevel's men sit on saddled horses. This is good news, said the Jarl, but keep it from becoming known. He then rode back to the boys, asking them to go home. He called them a disgrace to a company of good men. By then both boys were walking, and the Jarl spoke in this way so as not to expose them. But the boys, refusing to turn back, moved to the fringes of the escort and traveled at the far rear of the company. When they arrived at the feast, Helgi and Hror ran back and forth in the hall. At one point, this activity brought them to a place where Signy, their sister, was sitting. She whispered to them, Do not stay in the hall, because you are not yet fully grown but they paid no attention to her warning. King Frodi then started to speak. He announced that he wanted the sons of King Hafton found and promised, for his part, to show great honor to the man who could tell him something about the boys. Then, a seeress who was called Hade arrived. The king told her to use her art to divine what she could about the boys. The king had a magnificent feast prepared for her and had her placed on a high trance platform. Then, he asked what she could see of the future. Because I know, he said, that much will be made clear for you. I see that there is great luck in you, so answer me as quickly as possible. She wrenched open her jaws and yawned deeply, 
and this chant emerged from her mouth. Two are the men I trust in neither, they the excellent ones who sit by the fire's side. The king replied, Are you speaking about the boys, or about those who have saved them? She answered, They who long were on Vifel's island, and there were hailed with hounds' names Hop and Ho. Just then, Signy threw a gold ring to the sibyl. Hyde was pleased with the gift, and she wanted to stop her divining. She said, This is how matters stand. What I said is only a lie, and now all my prophecies have gone astray. The king replied, If you do not choose more wisely, you will be tortured into speaking. Here, among so many people, I still do not understand any better than previously what you were saying. And why is Signy not in her seat? Can it be that the wolves are plotting with predators? The king was told that Signy had been sickened by the smoke from the hearth. Jarl Sival asked her to sit up and behave courageously, for it can have much bearing on keeping the boys alive, if that is what is meant to be. Act in such a way that your thoughts cannot be read. As matters stand, there is nothing that we can do to help them. King Frodi now pressed the sorceress hard. He commanded her to tell the truth if she did not want to be tortured. Her mouth gaped wide, but the spell became difficult. Finally, she spoke this verse. I see where they sit, sons of Hafton, Roar and Helgi, healthy both. They will rob Frodi of life. Unless they are quickly dealt with, she said, but that will not happen. Then she jumped down from the trance platform and said, Hard are the eyes of Ham and Hrani. They are princes, wonderfully bold. The boys, now frightened, ran from the hall and headed for the woods. Regan, their foster father, recognized them and was much moved. The sorceress, who herself now ran from the hall, had given the boys good advice when she told them to save themselves. The king ordered his men to rise and chase after the boys. Regan then extinguished all the lights in the hall. Men began to grapple with one another, and some of them held the king's men back. There were those in the hall who wanted to see the boys escape, and, because of the intervention, the two reached the woods. King Frodi said, They came close this time, and many here have been plotting with them. When I have the time, I will take a fearful vengeance for their doing so. Now, however, we are free to drink all night long. The princes will be so relieved at having escaped that they will first try to save their lives. Regan began to serve the ale. In this task, he was joined by many of his friends, and they plied the drink so generously that men passed out and fell, one on top of the other. Meanwhile, the brothers, as noted earlier, hid in the woods. When the boys had been there a while, they saw a man riding toward them from the hall. They soon recognized that it was Regan, their foster father. They were pleased to see him and greeted him well, but Regan ignored their greeting. Instead, he turned his horse around, facing back toward the hall. The boys wondered at this, asking themselves what this action might mean. Regan turned his horse toward them for a second time, acting now so menacingly that he seemed likely to attack them at any moment. Helgi said, I think I know what he wants. Regan now rode back to the hall, and the boys followed him. My foster father behaves in this way, said Helgi, because he does not want to violate his oaths to King Frodi. For this reason he will not speak to us, yet he will gladly help us. Near the hall stood a grove of trees owned by the king. 
When they reached it, Regin said to himself, If I sought vengeance against King Frodi for great wrongs, I would burn down this grove. He said nothing else. Ror said, What does that mean? He wants us to go back to the hall, answered Helgi, and set it afire, excepting one doorway that leads outside. What can we do? asked Ror. We are just two boys facing overwhelming odds. Still, said Helgi, we will do it, because we'll have to risk it some time if we are to avenge our losses. And so they carried out the plan. The next to tell is Jarl Sival's emergence from the hall with all his men. He said, let's build up the fire and help these boys. I owe no obligation to King Frodi. King Frodi had two smiths who were master craftsmen. Both were named Var. Regin led his own men out through the door of the hall. He also saved his friends and his in-laws. Chapter 4. The Death of King Frodi King Frodi now awakened in the hall. Sighing loudly, he said, I dreamed a dream, lads. It is one that promises no fair wind, and I will relate it to you. I dreamed that I thought someone was calling to us, saying, Now you have come home, king, you and your men. I answered it, it seemed, angrily. Home to where? Then the voice called out again, this time so near to me that I felt the breath of the one calling. Home to hell. Home to hell. Said the one who called, then. I awoke. Just then, they heard Regin speaking a verse outside the door to the hall. Rain is without, and the warriors of Hafton, tough adversaries, say this to Frodi. Var the careful forged nails, and Var the wary formed the heads. But the smiths worked warnings for the wary. Then the king's men, those who were inside, said that it was a little news if it was raining outside, or if the king's smiths were forging nails, or, or doing other smithy work. The king said, You do not find news in that. It strikes me otherwise, for Regin has told us of some impending danger. He has given a sign of warning, and will be sly and cunning with me. Next the king, going to the door of the hall, saw that the enemy was in front. By then the whole hall was covered with flames. The king asked who was responsible for the fire. He was told that Helgi was in charge, and that his brother Hror was with them. The king proposed a truce to the boys. He offered that they alone could set the terms, saying, It goes against nature's order that among us kinsmen each man should want to be the killer of the other. Helgi replied, No one can trust you. You will betray us no less than you betrayed my father Hafton. Now you must pay for your actions. Then the king turning back from the hall door, went to the entrance of his underground passageway, intending to save himself by escaping into the woods. But when he entered the passageway, he found Regin standing there. As Regin's intentions were not peaceful, the king returned to the hall, where he and most of his followers burned to death. Sigrid, the mother of the brothers Helgi and Horor, also burned to death inside the hall, because she chose not to leave. For their support, the brothers thanked Jarl Sival, the brother-in-law, Regin, their foster father, and all the company. To many they gave rich gifts. They took the kingdom, including all of Frodi's wealth, his lands, and his movable property. The brothers were unlike in temperament. Hror was mild and easygoing, whereas Helgi was a staunch warrior and was regarded as by far the most important of the two. 
matters continued this way for a while. Here ends the tale of Throdi, and begins the story of Hror and Helgi, the sons of Hafton. Chapter 5. King Helgi Rules Denmark, and King Hror Marries There was a king named Nordri. He ruled over parts of England. His daughter was named Ogun. Hror spent many years with King Nordri, and commanded the defense of the realm. Hror was a trusted supporter of the king, and a deep friendship grew between the two men. After a time, Hror married Ogun, and settled there in the kingdom with King Nordri, his father-in-law. Helgi ruled over Denmark, controlling the inheritance from their father. Jarl Sival and Signy ruled their own lands. Their son was named Hrok. In Denmark, King Helgi, the son of Hafton, was unmarried. Regen now took sick and died. It was regarded as a great loss, because he was a much-loved man. Chapter 6 King Helgi Attempts to Marry Queen Olaf At that time, a queen named Olaf ruled over Saxland. Like a warrior king, she dressed in a coat of mail, carried sword and shield, and wore a helmet. This was her nature, beautiful in looks, yet cruel and arrogant in temperament. Those who knew about such matters said that Olaf was the best match in all the northern countries, but she had no intention of marrying any man. King Helgi heard about this proud queen. It seemed to him that marrying the woman, whether she was willing or not, would increase his fame and importance. So one day, he set off with a large company of armed men and, without warning, he landed in the country ruled by the powerful queen Olaf. Helgi sent messengers to her hall, requesting that the queen be informed that he expected a feast to be prepared for him and his company. His messengers transmitted his request to the queen, who was taken by surprise and had no chance to gather her forces. Making the best of the situation, she invited King Helgi to a feast along with all his following. Helgi arrived at the feast and had himself placed in the high seat beside the queen. The two drank together throughout the evening. Nothing was lacking, and, and Queen Olaf showed no sign of displeasure. King Helgi said to the queen, The situation is this. I want us to drink to our marriage this evening. There are enough people here for such a celebration, and tonight we will share one bed. She answered, It seems to me that this plan has moved too fast. Yet I do not think that I could find a man more courteous than you if I were of a mind to attach myself to any man. But I certainly do not expect you would want to undertake such a union with dishonor. The king replied that it was fitting, because of her pride and arrogance, that we remain together for as long as it pleases me. She answered, I would choose to have more of my friends here, but since I can now do nothing, you must decide this matter. And I expect you to behave honorably to me. The drinking continued throughout the evening and long into the night. The queen was so cheerful that no one noticed in her anything other than that she thought well of the marriage. Finally, when Helgi was brought to bed, she was waiting there for him. The king had drunk so much that at once he fell down asleep onto the bed, Taking advantage of his state, the queen stuck him with a sleep-thorn. When the last of the men had left, the queen got up, she shaved off all his hair, and smeared him with tar. Next, she took a leather sack made for sleeping and placed some clothes in it. After that, she grabbed hold of the king and stuffed him into the sack. Then she called her men and had them carry the king to his ships. The queen next awakened Helgi's men, telling them that their king had gone back to the ships and, because of a favorable wind, was planning to set sail. 
They jumped up, each one moving as fast as he could, but drunk and confused, they scarcely knew what to do. When the men arrived at the ships, the king was nowhere to be found. They did, however, see that a large sack was there. Curious about its contents, they decided to look while waiting for the king. They assumed that he would be coming a little later. When they untied the sack, they found their king shamefully tricked. The sleep foreign fell away, and the king awoke, though his dreams had not been pleasant. He was now in a vile temper regarding their queen. But about Queen Olaf, there is more to be told. She spent the night gathering her men, and there was no lack of numbers. Meanwhile, King Helgi could not decide how to get back at her. When he and his men heard from the land the sound of trumpets and the blast of war horns, Helgi realized that it would be best to get away as quickly as possible. As it turned out, a fair wind was blowing at the time. King Helgi sailed home to his kingdom, bearing this dishonor and disgrace. He was filled with resentment about the outcome, and often contemplated how to take vengeance on the queen. Chapter 7 King Helgi's Vengeance Queen Olaf remained now for a time in her kingdom. Her arrogance and her overbearing manner had never been greater. After the feast she had offered King Helgi, she kept a strong guard around her. News of their dealings spread far and wide throughout the different lands. Everyone thought it was a flagrant misdeed to have mocked such a king in this way. Not long after, King Helgi again set sail in his ships. This time, he headed towards Saxland, making for the queen's royal residence. The queen had a large force ready, but Helgi landed his ships in a hidden inlet. He told his men to wait for him there until the third day, and, if he had not returned by then, to go their own way. Helgi took with him two chests filled with gold and silver. He obtained some rags which he used for outer clothing. He then made his way to the woods and hid the treasure there. Next, going towards the queen's hall, he met one of her slaves. He asked the man for news of the country. The thrall said the times were peaceful and good and asked the stranger who he was. Helgi let on that he was a poor beggar. All the same, Helgi said, I have found a huge treasure in the forest and it seems advisable for me to show you where it is. They went to the woods and he showed the slave the treasure. The slave was much impressed by the value of the treasure, believing that good fortune had struck. How greedy is the queen? asked the beggar. She is the greediest of women, replied the slave. Then this treasure will please her, said the beggar. Though I found it, she will think she owns it because it is on her land. Good fortune must not now be turned to bad, so I will not hide this wealth. The queen can decide on my share as she wishes, deciding what will suit me best. But will she take the trouble to come here to get the treasure? I am sure that she will, answered the slave, if it is done secretly. Here, said the beggar, is a necklace and a ring. These I will give to you if you succeed in persuading her to go alone into the woods. On the other hand, I will devise a plan if she becomes angry with you. After discussing the matter, they arrived at a bargain. The slave went home and told the queen that he had found huge cash of treasure in the woods. Enough, he said, to guarantee the happiness of many men. He asked her to come with him, quickly to retrieve the wealth. She replied, If what you say is true, this story will make your fortune. If not, it will bring death to you. But... Since I have discovered you in the past to be reliable, I will trust in what you say. Then she showed just how greedy she was, so that no one else would know. She arranged that the two of them would go alone into the dead of night.
but when they came into the forest, Helgi was there waiting. He grabbed hold of the queen and told her that their meeting was an ideal opportunity to avenge his disgrace. The queen admitted that she had behaved badly toward him, but now I want to make it all up to you, and you shall wed me honorably. No, he said, you will not have that choice. You will come with me to the ships and remain there for as long as it pleases me. For my own pride's sake, I must take some vengeance on you after the ugly and shameful way you've toyed with me. For now, she said, you are the one who will decide. The king then slept with the queen for many nights. Then the queen returned home. As just told, Helgi wreaked his vengeance on her, and now she became profoundly unhappy with her lot. King Helgi continued on his voyage, bringing war to others and acquiring fame. The Girl Irsa After some time, Queen Olaf gave birth to a child. It was a girl. The queen treated the child with complete neglect. She had a dog named Irsa. She called the little girl after it, so that the child came to be named Irsa. She was a beautiful child, but when she was twelve years old, she was sent to tend the herd. The girl was told only that she was the daughter of a poor farmer and his elderly wife. The deceit was possible because the queen had concealed her condition so well that only a few people knew that she had given birth. So matters continued until the girl was thirteen. The king Helgi returned to Olaf's land and, curious to know what happened there, he put on beggar's clothes. He saw a large herd in a forest tended by a young woman. She was so beautiful that he thought he had never seen a more lovely woman. He asked her name and inquired about her family and kinship. She answered, I am the daughter of a poor man, and am called Irsa. Your eyes are not those of a servant, he said, and suddenly feelings of love welled up in him. He said it would be proper for a beggar to marry her, because she was a poor man's daughter. Although she asked him not to do this, he took her with him back to the ships and sailed home to his kingdom. When Queen Olaf learned what happened, she behaved deceitfully. In public, she pretended to have no knowledge of the situation. In her private thoughts, however, she calculated that these events would bring grief and dishonor to King Helgi, and that neither success nor joy would come of them. King Helgi married Irsa and loved her very much. The Ring A ring owned by King Helgi was a widely famed treasure. Both brothers wanted it, and so too did their sister Signy. King Hror once paid a visit to the kingdom of his brother King Helgi, who prepared a magnificent feast in Hror's honor. King Hror said, Between us, you are the greater man. I have settled in Northumberland, and therefore am now willing to grant you my share of the kingdom that we own jointly. I will make this agreement if you will share with me some of our treasured possessions. I want the ring, the one that is the best treasure in your possession, and that both of us would like to own. Brother, said Helgi, after such a speech, nothing else is fitting but that you should have the ring. King Hror returned home to his kingdom and remained there in peace. Chapter 8. Jarl Hrok Claims King Hror's Ring Next came the news that Jarl Sival had died and that his son Hrok had then assumed rule. Hrok was a cruel and exceptionally greedy man. His mother often described the ring owned by her brothers, to my mind, it would be proper, she said, if they remembered us with a grant of some form of wealth. 
We supported them when they were taking vengeance for our father, yet they have not rewarded us for our help either in respect to your father or in respect to me. Frock agreed. What you say is plain as day. The situation is disgraceful. I will go to them and find out what they are willing to do in order to satisfy our honor. Frock then set off to meet King Helgi. He demanded a third of the Danish kingdom, or the Great Ring. He did not know that Hror had the ring in his possession. King Helgi said, You make bold demands and act with arrogance. We won the kingdom with our courage, staking our lives on the outcome. We acted with the support of your father and of my foster father, Regen. Other good men also aided us. We will certainly reward you because of our kingship, that is, if you are willing to consent to our proposal. This kingdom has, however, cost me so much that I am by no means willing to lose it. Furthermore, King Hror has now assumed ownership of the ring, and I doubt that it will be available to you. Hrock left very dissatisfied. Next, he sought out King Hror, who received him with honor. Hrock stayed with Hror for a time. Once while sailing down the coast, they put in at a fjord. Hrock said, It seems to me, kinsman, that it would be worthy of your honor if you placed the great ring under my control. By doing so, you will dignify our kinship. The king responded, I have given so much to get this ring that I will by no means part with it. Rock said, Then you must allow me to look at it, as I am very curious to know whether the ring is as much of a treasure as is claimed. That is a small thing to do for you, said Hror, and I will certainly let you look at it. He then produced the ring for Rock to see. For a while, Rock studied the ring, declaring finally that there was no possibility of exaggeration when describing it. I have never seen a comparable treasure, and the reason you esteem the ring so highly is obvious. The best solution, it seems to me, is that neither of us, or for that matter, anyone else should enjoy it. He then threw the ring as far out as he could see into the sea. King Hror said, You are a thoroughly odious man. He then ordered Hrock's foot chopped off and sent him back to the kingdom. Hrock soon recovered his health, and even the stump of his leg healed. Then he assembled troops with the intention of avenging his shameful injury. He gathered a large force and arrived with stealth in Northumberland. At the time, King Hror was feasting with only a few followers, and Hrock attacked at once. A hard-fought battle ensued, but the sides were uneven, and King Hror was killed. Hrock finished his conquests of the kingdom, and had given himself the title of king. Next, he asked to marry Ogun, the daughter of King Nordri and the wife of his uncle, King Hror. King Nordri thus found himself thrust into a grim dilemma, especially because he was then an old man and hardly fit for fighting. He told his daughter Ogun how matters stood, stating that, despite his age, he would not refuse to give battle, if that was her wish. She answered with deep sorrow, Of course this union is against my will. I see, however that your life hangs in the balance, and so I will not reject him. But some delay must be arranged, for I am carrying a child, and this is the matter that must be attended to first. King Hror is the father. The request was put to Hrock. He was willing to grant a delay if by doing so he could more easily secure both the kingdom and the marriage. It seemed to Hrock that he had greatly advanced himself on this journey having brought about the downfall of so famous and powerful a king. Seizing the opportunity, Ogun sent messengers to King Helgi with instructions to tell him that she would not get into bed with Hrock. <laughs>
that is, if the choice were hers, and she were not being forced. The reason is that I am carrying King Hror's child. The messengers set off and repeated her words just as they had been told. King Helgi responded that, was wisely on her part, because I will avenge my brother Hror. Hrock, however, suspected nothing. Chapter 9 Vengeance and King Hror's Son Agnar Queen Ogin next gave birth to a son named Agnar, who from early on was big and full of promise. When King Helgi heard this news, he gathered his forces and set out to fight Hrock. The battle that followed ended with Hrock's capture. King Helgi said to Hrock, You are a thoroughly vile chieftain, but I will not kill you. Instead, it will shame you more to live with pain and torment. Then he had Hrock's legs and arms broken and sent him back to his kingdom. Hrock was utterly ruined. When Agnar, Hror's son, was twelve years old, men thought they had never seen any man his equal. He was foremost in all accomplishments, and he became a great warrior. He became so famous that, when old tales are told, he is widely held to be the greatest of champions, past or present. Agnar inquired about the location of the fjord into which Hrock had thrown the ring. Many people had searched for the ring, using all kinds of methods, but the ring was never found. Agnar sailed his ship into the fjord, saying that, it would be great feat to snare the ring, if only someone knew the bearings. After being told where the ring had been thrown into the sea, Agnar got ready and dived into the deep. He surfaced, but without the ring. He went down under for a second time, but again did not find the ring. After saying that, it has been sought after carelessly, he went down a third time and came up with the ring. Agnar gained widespread fame from this exploit. His reputation now exceeded his father's. King Helgi stayed at home in his kingdom during the winters, but in the summers he went out raiding. He became a famous man, more renowned than his father. He and Irsa loved each other deeply. They had one son. He was named Hrolf, the one who later became a most worthy man. Chapter 10 King Helgi and Queen Irsa Queen Olaf learned that King Helgi and Irsa loved each other dearly and were content with their marriage. The news displeased her, and she set out to pay them a visit. When she reached their lands, she sent word to Queen Irsa, and the women met. Irsa invited Olaf to accompany her home to the hall. Queen Olaf replied that she did not wish to do so. She explained that she had no honor to repay to King Helgi. Irsa said, You behaved shamefully to me when I was with you. Do you have anything to tell me about my family? Who are they? I suspect that I am not the daughter of a serving man and a common woman, as I was told. In reply, Olaf said, It is likely that I can tell you something about your parentage. My main reason for coming here was to tell you what I know about it. But are you well content with your marriage? Yes, she replied, and well I might be because I am married to the most noble and most famous of kings. Your contentment may not be as secure as you think, said Olaf, for he is your father, and you are my daughter. Irsa said, I have, I am sure, the worst and cruelest of mothers. What you are telling me is so monstrous that it will never be forgotten. You have suffered, Olaf said. 
from Helge's actions and my anger. Now I invite you to come home with me. You will receive every honor and esteem, and I will behave toward you as best I can in every respect. Irsa answered, I have no idea what that will bring, but I do know that I cannot stay here, aware as I am of the shame that darkens this place. She then went to King Helgi, telling him how oppressive her situation now was. The king said, You have a cruel enough mother, but I want things to continue as they are now. But she argued that things could not continue as they were, and that, from now on, they must no longer live together. Irsa then went with Queen Olaf and stayed in Saxland for a time. King Helgi suffered so deeply because of his wife's departure that, grievously unhappy, he took to his bed. No match was thought better than one with Irsa, but kings were slow in asking for her hand. The main reason was the possibility that King Helgi would in the end come after her, enraged that she had married another man. Chapter 11 the Elfin Woman, and the Birth of Skold. There was a king named Adels. He was powerful and greedy. From his stronghold at Uppsala, he ruled over Sweden. King Adels heard of Irsa and prepared his ships, setting out to ask for an audience with Olaf and Irsa. Olaf prepared a feast in honor of King Adels, regaling him with all manner of refinement and courtesy. King Adels asked for Queen Irsa's hand in marriage. Olaf said, You must have heard about her situation. If she agrees to marry you, I will not oppose your request. So Adels presented his suit to Irsa. She responded, telling him that his chance of success was not good, because you are an unpopular king. Nevertheless, the suit went forward. Irsa was uncommitted either way, and it mattered little whether she said more or less concerning the proposal. But finally, she accompanied King Adels when he sailed off. King Helgi was not notified, because Adels thought himself the more prominent of the two kings. King Helgi did not even know what had happened until after the couple arrived in Sweden, where King Adels had a splendid wedding feast prepared for Irsa. It was news of this celebration that finally reached Helgi, who became twice as unhappy as before. King Helgi slept alone in a small detached building. So matters continued for a while. Olaf is now out of the saga. It is said that one Yule evening, King Helgi was in bed. The weather outside was foul, yet someone came to the door, tapping weakly on it. It occurred to Helgi that it was unkingly for him to allow any person, however wretched, to remain outside when he could help. So the king got up and opened the door. He saw someone, or something, poor and tattered, standing outside. After saying, You have done well, king, it came into the room. The king said, Take some straw and a bearskin for yourself so that you will not freeze. The visitors said, Let me into your bed, sire. I want to sleep next to you, for my life is at stake. The king replied, You repel me, but if it is as you say, then lie down here along the side of the bed. Keep your clothes on and I will not come to any harm. She did as the king asked, and he turned away from her. A light was burning in the house, and after a time he glanced over his shoulder at her. What he saw was a sleeping woman so fair that he thought he had never seen anyone so beautiful. She was dressed in a silken gown. Quickly and tenderly he turned toward her. She said, 
Now I will leave. You have released me from a terrible bondage, which was my stepmother's curse. I have visited many kings, but none of them accepted me because of my looks. I do not want to stay here any longer. No, said the king. There is no possibility that you may leave so soon. We will not part that way. I will arrange a quick wedding for us, because you please me well. She said, You are the one to make the decision, my lord. And so that night they slept together. In the morning she spoke to him, saying, We have slept together because of your lust, and you will know that we will have a child. Do now as I tell you, king. Visit our child next winter at this same time down at your ship's landing. Unless you do so, you will pay for it. After this, she went away. The king was now somewhat happier than before. Time passed and Helgi forgot, giving no thought to the warning. But after three winters there is this to tell. At midnight, three people came riding up to the same house in which the king was sleeping. They brought a girl child with them and put her down outside the house. Then the woman who was holding the child said, You must know, king, that your kinsmen will pay for your ignoring my request. Nevertheless, you will reap a benefit from having released me from the curse. Be aware that the girl is named Skold, and she is our daughter. Then the people rode away. Skold's mother was an elfin woman, and the king never again saw or heard of her. Skold grew up with the king. From an early age, she showed a vicious temperament. It is said that King Helgi prepared to set out on voyage, to forget his sorrow. Hrolf, his son, stayed behind. King Helgi raided far and wide, performing great deeds. Chapter 12 King Adels and King Helgi Meet Meanwhile, King Adels remained at Uppsala. He had twelve berserkers who defended his land against all dangers and attacks. King Helgi prepared his voyage to Uppsala to retrieve Irsa. When King Adels learned that Helgi had landed, he asked the queen how she wished to have King Helgi received. Queen Irsus answered, You will decide that for yourself, but you know from before that there is no man whom, because of our relationship, I am more bound to support. King Adels thought it fitting to invite Helgi to a feast, but he had no intention for the meeting to occur without treachery. Accepting the invitation, King Helgi traveled to the feast with one hundred men leaving most of his followers with the ships. King Adels received Helgi with open arms. Queen Irsa, hoping to reconcile the two kings, showed all honor toward King Helgi. For, in his part, Helgi was so pleased to see the queen that he let everything else slip by him, for he wanted to make use of all the available time to talk with her. And so they sat down to the feast. Then King Adels' berserkers returned home. As soon as they had landed, King Adels met with them secretly. He ordered the berserkers to hide in the woods between the fortress and King Helgi's ships. From there, the berserkers were to ambush King Helgi when he returned to the ships. I will send reinforcements to help you. My troops will attack them in the rear, and in this way, Helgi and his men will be caught in the claws of a trap. My intention is to attack Helgi so that he cannot escape. I can see that he is so much in love with the queen that I dare not risk whatever he is planning. As King Helgi sat at the feast, the treachery was carefully concealed from both him and the queen. Queen Irsa asked King Adels to give Helgi splendid gifts at their parting. Adels complied by giving Helgi gold as well as treasured articles intending, in fact, to enjoy them himself. When King Helgi then set out, 
King Adels and the Queen accompanied him on his way, and the Queen and the Kings parted on their seemingly friendly terms. Not long after King Adels had turned back, King Helgi and his men became aware of an impending attack, and soon a battle started. King Helgi pushed forward, fighting valiantly, but he and his men faced overwhelming odds. Having suffered great wounds, King Helgi fell there after gaining renown. Some of King Adel's forces had attacked from the rear, and Helgi and his men had found themselves caught as though between a hammer and an anvil. Queen Irsa learned about these events only after King Helgi had fallen and the battle ended. With King Helgi fell all the followers who had accompanied him to the feast. The rest of Helgi's men fled home to Denmark. Here ends the tale of King Helgi. Chapter 13 King Adel's Pride and Queen Irsa's Displeasure King Adel's became boastful and arrogant about his victory. It seemed to him that he had greatly distinguished himself, having overcome a king as important and famous as Helgi. But Queen Irsa said, it is hardly befitting to boast so much, even if you have tricked that man to whom I owed the greatest obligation, and the one I loved the most. For the same reason, I will never be loyal to you if you fight his kinsmen. I plan to put your berserkers to death as soon as I can, that is, if I find someone manly enough to do so, both for my sake and as proof of his own worth. King Adels asked her not to threaten him or his berserkers, because it will not help you. But I do want to compensate you for the death of your father. If you will accept it, I will give you magnificent gifts, including both riches and valuable possessions. The queen, appeased by this offer, accepted redress from the king. Nevertheless, from then on, she was of an uneasy temper, often watching for a chance to harm or to disgrace the berserkers. After the fall of King Helgi, the queen never exhibited joy or good humor. Now... More than before, disagreements arose in the hall. If she could find a way to avoid it, the queen chose not to submit to King Adel's will. King Adel believed that he had made himself exceedingly famous, and now all those who served among his followers and his champions thought themselves masterly men. King Adel's remained at home in his kingdom, convinced that no one would raise a shield in opposition to his authority or dare to test the strength of his berserkers. King Adels was a devoted sacrificer and a man full of sorcery.